Sup, freaks. It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce you to this episode's sponsor. You freaks already know all about them, the Cash App. It's been the number one finance app in the App Store for the last two years. The first P2P payments app to allow you freaks to purchase Bitcoin. Uh, and they also have an incredible boost program. If you're not uh, participating with your personalized boost card yet, what the hell are you waiting for? Go download the Cash App now uh, with the boost card. You can go to uh, merchants uh, like Chick-fil-A, coffee shops, Whole Foods, Panera, Taco Bell. The list goes on. So many I can't even remember. Uh, you use your boost card there and you get a little uh, get a little discount because you're part of the boost program. It's like you're part of a special club. Just like you're part of the Stacking Sats Club. And when you're done stacking sats on the Cash App, you can uh, you can take that Bitcoin and send it to the personal wallet of your choice when you take custody into your own hands and you take control of your financial sovereignty. Uh, easily scan a QR code uh, or copy-paste the address into the app and send it off to your ledger, your treasure, your Electrum, your cold storage, whatever it may be. So go find the Cash App in the Google Play Store or the App Store today and start stacking sats now. Hope you guys... in. Uh, excuse me, enjoy this episode with uh, Jan and Pavel from Slushpool. Very rare, very rare appearance by these two. Uh, was happy to have them on and think you freaks are going to love it just as much as I did. Enjoy. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Ben here on a Friday afternoon. In relegation studio, we haven't used yet. This is the first time we're using this studio. I'm very excited. It's a little rainy out. We've got a very fun conversation in front of us. Blockchain week has officially started in my mind. Uh, we've got a, a couple of, of seasoned veterans in from the Czech Republic, a uh, couple members of the Slush Bowl team. I'd like to introduce you freaks to the co-CEOs, Jan Chapik and Pavel Morvitz. Did I get it right? Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> Hi. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for coming by. How was your trip to, uh, to America? Uh, pretty good. It was sort of a pleasure coming. Yeah. Um, no, I'm very excited for this conversation. I was telling you earlier, we've never had any mining pool operators on or anybody like big in the mining industry on this podcast. So I'm very excited about this. Slush Pool in particular has a seasoned history. You guys are the oldest um, Bitcoin mining pool in existence. Slush Mine, Slush Pool mined its first block in November of 2010 when you guys were still Bitcoin.cz mining. Uh, when Slush was around? Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we got involved sometime in 2013. Yeah, before we get to that. Before, okay. We have a little background history here. Okay. So you guys, so Slush Pool, for you freaks that don't know, uh, uh, out of all pools, is it third, has mined the third most Bitcoin of all time, over a million at this point. Uh, in my view, you guys are an altruistic, like very good actor in the space and uh, a mining pool that has stood the test of time in an industry that is one of the most cutthroat uh industries in the world, not only in Bitcoin, uh, I would argue with Bitcoin mining. Uh, before we get into what you guys are doing at Slushpool, you, like you were mentioning, Jan, you guys came into 2013. What were you doing before 2013? How did you f- get into Bitcoin? What drove you guys to Bitcoin and then Slush in particular? Well, we sort of uh, heard about Bitcoin by that time, around 2010 or 11. It was the first time, but um, we didn't think it was like that serious. Um, so me and Pavel, we had a company doing uh, embedded software for embedded devices. It was it's still called Brains Brain Systems, uh, and that's the company behind the pool right now. Um, so we were doing 
programming for for industry players that do gen sets and stuff like that so we are like the firmware guys we know how to do embedded linux and real-time stuff so that's where we were making uh, money on but then when we had the opportunity to enter the bitcoin field it was 2013 um we thought we shouldn't miss it the second time so we got involved maybe Pavel has some more inputs on this i think you summarized it in Clearly. mining draw, draw you guys in because of the hardware aspect the firmware aspect uh, or? not really yeah. i think we we realized uh the that bitcoin idea is great which we didn't realize the first time and i i was the best friend of Marek slash uh, in childhood and he he was really into bitcoin and and we we talked more and so was, he, he was your bitcoin friend that wore you down eventually uh yeah, you can tell that probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he was pretty. He he started the pool himself, single person. Uh, it was too much for him at that time, and he he wanted to focus on uh, the work uh, around Trezor. Uh, so he wanted to create a company uh, in the long run. So he he proposed us to to join the pool or uh, be part of the pool. So right now we. Uh, and you know, it, it was 2013, and since then points we are fully committed to Bitcoin. We, we don't do anything else. Yeah, no, I mean, that's evident. Um, you guys have stuck around throughout the years. I'm showing you this chart. We'll get to that eventually um, of pool distribution throughout time. You guys had a significant uh, share at the beginning through like 2014, 2015, the share dropped a little bit. Uh, we were talking a little bit why before, and, and now it seems like you guys are making a resurgence. But before we jump into like the dynamics of the mining pool industry in particular, let's talk about the software that creates these mining pools. So you guys created Stratum in 2013, and that was an iteration or a replacement of GetWork, correct? Uh, it's not an iteration, it's a complete rewrite. Like, yeah, yeah. But the principle of the protocol is completely different. Because uh, at the beginning, uh, the original protocol was co absolutely inefficient, and uh, Stratum was an idea how to make it much more uh, better designed or much much more efficient for miners. Because the, the more connections you do, you, you need to create the, the protocol for uh, a specific task. So Mark at the time tried to solve that with Stratum, and it's pretty old protocol. And uh, yeah, today is obviously obsolete in a lot of sense. You you, you would design it differently if, we, if you had all the information you have today. Uh, but it it's good enough for yeah. All the mining is done through Stratum today. And let's talk about sort of the like, dynamics of how this pool works. Like so. As a pool operator, what is what is your function and what are you facilitating for, for these individual miners that are sending a hash rate to, towards your pool? Well, our um, primary purpose is to aggregate the, the hashing power. So basically, uh, it, it means that the miners, if they were mining on their own, their um, participation in the total network hash rate is very insignificant. But the... Um, the minimum amount of Bitcoin that you can mine is one block, right? Um, so this uh, block finding process called mining is a statistical process that has some Poisson distribution. That's how the blocks arrive. 
Um, basically, any previous work has nothing to do with whatever you find in the future, so it's completely unrelated. It's like as if you were rolling a dice and thinking like, what's the probability that I find a number smaller than three or whatever. Um, so the point of the pool is to aggregate uh, those people who are rolling the dice uh, and making their variance smaller. So the probability is still the same, but their variance uh, in the and the distribution of the of the reward is smaller, so that's the point of the pool. Yes, so you, you get you get some rewards frequently, yeah. so you can calculate some uh, some numbers. It's it's an it's not a random thing. If you're solo miner, you can get uh, one block roughly, for example, one once in a year, which is disaster. Mm -hmm. uh, if you try to run as a, as a business, but once you join a pool, you can get your rewards every single day. So this is the basic principle of why, why people do that. So how does uh, divvying up the rewards go um, on your end? Because that's actually something that came to the fore of the conversation this week that I haven't thought about in a while, is the fact when you guys mine a block, you don't have access to that, uh, the block reward for 100 blocks because um, the Coinbase transaction doesn't get released. So how are you guys sort of uh, taking that into consideration and, and divvying it out based off? Yeah. Um, that's right. Uh, we are basically calculating what, what what amount of bitcoins everybody deserves for the block, and if we see that the mine block is deep enough in the blockchain, we just uh, add the the rewards to to the to the balance of the user. What is deep enough? Hundred. Hundred. <laughs> yeah, hundred confirmations Fifty right now internally but we advertise 100 because it's the number used by blockchain itself uh, but you always have the buffer so we, we theoretically we could uh, pay uh, the rewards earlier but there is still some some security uh, number you want to keep because the rewards are technically possible and we don't want to be uh, like paying coins and, and you are, it would be mess. Right. The thing is, uh, I think the Bitcoin Core even refuses to. You cannot spend the block before it matures, and the the, the, the constant, the number of, uh, of the depth, how deep in the blockchain the block is, uh, that's what's being checked by, by by the Bitcoin Core. And there's some soft limit that you can tweak technically. You basically can hack your source and make the Bitcoin Core uh, pay out the block earlier, a little bit earlier. But there are some constraints. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we never, yeah, never we, pay exactly the coins. That yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter, right? The, which which coins we, you're, you're technically paying out because you have some some stack from the previous blocks yeah. and so on, and users have different thresholds for payouts. So, um, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, really it doesn't matter. have to be the most recent block that yeah, you mind. Yeah. You have reserves. Yeah, from other blocks. Uh, what did you guys think about the whole? Uh, CZ coming out and saying that he thought about it more <laughs> this week. It's, uh, the, uh, the, the it's a big story. It's a big story. I think Jimmy Jimmy's song was right when we wrote, I think it was a Twitter post something, uh, that it's a pity that they didn't try. Right. Because if they tried and failed, it would be so great. And everybody in the industry is... 100% sure they would fail with, with the, with the reorging. So, uh, so it, it's missed opportunity. It's like with every other fork. You can fork Bitcoin anytime you want, but we all already know that it doesn't make Bitcoin uh, less strong. It's right. even stronger. So 
it's a misunderstanding from my point of view. What did you think of uh, the proposition by like, Jerry Rubin and a couple others to basically try to double spend uh, Binance still had access to those private keys? Obviously, they did, and they tried to double spend that transaction with a fat fee, like a thousand uh, thousand Bitcoin fee to the top ten mining pools um, that helped in this process as as a mining pool. And you saw that would that entice you at all? Well, right, yeah, but they didn't do it, right? <laughs> so, I mean, th- this is like the last last resort that you could or you should do. It's actually it actually makes sense. I mean, if you if you know something like this happened and it happened in a big batch, you can do it. Why not? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, they didn't do it, right? Yeah. So, from theoretical perspective, if you have security measures and processes defined that you can do it as like the last resort, um, or the yeah. The, well, how would the security measures even work? They would. They would have to know that somebody stole their coins and then how would it work like alerting you guys that uh, hey we would like to reorg this as quick as possible they would have to construct a transaction pretty quickly uh, yeah, I don't think it's about reorging but you can detect that uh, mempool contains a transaction mm-hmm. which steals your money you can detect it pretty easily if you monitor what's what's happening on, on the network and what you can do is to create your own transaction spending the same outputs and put there some crazy fee so that uh the, the miners would prefer your transaction uh, before uh, the other transaction. I'm not sure about the technical details of it. I'm, I'm pretty sure it, it's doable. And we even did a node. We are redesigning some uh, money-related clearing subsystem right now. And we are probably uh, doing this kind of research in this topic as well. Yeah. So it's a good idea. Yeah, well, well, once you start to, yeah. Well, this incident sort of high, and this is what we talked about in our weekly show yesterday, Rabbit Hole Recap. Uh, it sort of highlights the incompetence of, of some of the industry players, like the fact that uh, CZ sort of thought this was even probable, especially six hours after the fact, at least. Um, yeah, but nobody can uh, know the details about everything. Right. And I'm, I pretty appreciate the fact that they, they were open about the thought process and and he came on and say, okay, it was a bad idea, and yeah. I, don't, I, I know it now. So it's, it's perfectly fine to have this conversation, so people can be brought to the topic and understand more about how Bitcoin works. So at the end, I think it's a good thing. It's actually very educating. It was a great, we learned a lot this week. It was a great, like, relearning process. It pretty much overshadowed everything else. <laughs> but even the exchange rate, nobody talks about the exchange rate, but people talk about this uh, reorg thing. Well, well, how crazy is it that we had Tether Binance a week, get two weeks ago, this last week, and the price just blew through. I think it's at like 6400 right now. I don't have it up right now. but I just read uh, some update that uh, there are some problems with withdrawals from Bitfinex as well. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, so... I think uh, the exchange rate is like the form of the honey badger. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Like, I like this. Dive into that. Why do you think it doesn't matter? Oh, you mean the problems or the exchange rate? Why the, the exchange, exchange rate? Yeah. Mm, well, the reason why we're into Bitcoin is I think this is the future of uh, of the money, and this is like the hard money that you have, and we're really interested in the technical aspects. And the exchange rate is a nice thing to have that creates the incentive to stay in the industry, but it doesn't have to be like super crazy. It's great for running a company, mm-hmm. uh, but not necessarily the only thing. We we have some internal number, which is we we need to be 
uh, in north of the number and be uh, fine with running the company. And anything better is just a bonus. Is uh, are we allowed to talk about that specific number or? <laughs> no, <laughs> so surprising, I guess. <laughs> we can say it relates to the size of the company, so you can always uh, change the size of the company. And yeah, you can, yeah uh, live we are longer. trying to move the, the number um, upward, hiring more people. But yeah, we are bound to uh, the exchange rate, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the price rising is, I think, always. It's always exciting, right? Oh yeah. Um, even in all this hoopla this week, it's been fun. I found myself up like watching the charts last night for the first time in a while. So it was approaching like sixty two hundred. I was like, oh man. Yeah, but I personally, I uninstalled all the widgets showing me the price because it's, it's a distraction basically. And we went through uh, times when the price were was dropping, and still you have to do your work. So. Well, let's talk about that. Let's jump into the history of Slush Pool. Let's talk about this chart. So you guys came out with a pretty hot start. Got a nice considerable chunk of the hash rate. Today you're sitting about 4.7x hash. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, what, what are like we at? It's like 10% of the... What are we at overall? Well, like 62 that. overall? Or yeah. Oh, I didn't check lately. Like yeah, we really did. <laughs> <laughs> we can it's, do the calculations. It's, it's the conflict of uh, everyday stuff you do. Mm-hmm. And once in a while you can... Look at you can recheck uh, and uh, you're somewhere between five and ten percent right now. Yeah, yeah network probably yeah. probably closer to ten. Mm-hmm. But yeah, roughly in these nice numbers. And so, like you were saying, your bear markets happened before 2014, 2015, probably being one, and your your hash rate share diminished in that in that period. What was going on back then? It was uh, I think it was a combination of a few factors. Uh, the first one, when we got into the industry, there was um, the pool itself was like a prototype, right? And it was suffering from scaling issues and all these things. So we were like really building the infrastructure from one server to being like worldwide spread uh, all over the world. Um, so paying for this technological debt took some time. Uh, second factor, 2013-14 was the time when ASICs were coming. So all the GPU guys and the ones, the you know, the geeks who were mining in their, you know, dormitory rooms and wherever, were just going out of the game because their uh, mining rigs were just obsolete. So they went for altcoins, whatever. Um, so and this you was like you say shitcoins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can let loose here. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so these guys were sort of like leaving us um, and initially the ASICs were pretty much in the hands of the manufacturers. So, and those had no incentive to connect to some, you know, pool which um, would not bring them anything if they can, if they have enough hash rate so that they can run their own, right, mining so operation. about variants if they're at that Yeah, state. yeah, yeah. So... These, I think these three factors and including the exchange rate sort of like going down, that all uh, turned into this trend of our uh, market share going up to like 3% or something like that. Yeah. That so was like the critical rate. boundary. Uh, if the pool starts hitting like 3%, then the variants start stepping in because then you're mining like, um, you should be mining like three, four blocks a day, I think. Uh, what is it? 50th out of 144. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. But, I'd say but, it's some, somewhere between two and three, two and three blocks, mm-hmm. and that means you can also mine zero. 
and you have the psychological effect like statistically it works you would be mining these number of blocks and on average you would get to the number but when a miner sees that you mine zero blocks during 24 hours and because we as a humans are you know are like day oriented right we sleep we wake up we check mm -hmm. status of certain things like how is my business doing how is my miners doing um they got um you know excited sort of like if there's something wrong with the pool because if it's mining zero blocks it, it means the lock is low or you could have some technical problem so it started this spiral of people you know disconnecting from the pool and making things even worse <laughs> so we got through this uh you survived this, a mining we, spiral yeah yeah we really survived <laughs> this um and then things started changing with the exchange rate with the technological updates that we made in the pool and then it started rising and i think that was when when the hash rate started rising again it was at the time when when the big farms, especially in the Western world, because majority of our users are from the Western world, like US and so on, um, they needed some trusted entity that they could direct their hash rate to. Um, and they apparently chose us for some reason. Um, so that's the time where our market share started like uh, going up a little bit and being really stable. Well, I think I know the reason. I think it's because you guys have been very good actors in the space for for a consistent amount of time. And I, th I think you guys have developed a brand, at least in the first decade, that, that suits you well. And, and again, a cutthroat industry. Do you do you uh, sympathize with that? Do you guys feel that way about yourselves? That you're sort of good to the community, community's good back to you in that aspect? But what we say, we try to be the good guys. Yeah. Like, don't do anything uh, that's not like morally sustainable or mm -hmm. acceptable. And there is a lot of actors in the space behaving this way, uh, and it's an honor to, to uh, be in the space. And we think it's a great, great feeling to be part of the whole movement. Let's say, and it would be really short-sighted to uh, like prioritize momentary uh, monetary effect. Uh, so yeah, I, I, we feel pretty comfortable in this. Position, and Marek started with uh, this approach really, really back in in the old days. So yeah, it's, it's a great thing. No, thank you for uh, for holding strong and being so principled in a in an industry that uh, has a lot of uh, unprincipled people in it. Outside of Bitcoin, I would say it's easier than uh, than you think because if you don't have to think about the shady space. Mm -hmm. So so it's pretty easy. You can focus on technology or your internal problems. We had a lot of technical technical depth and we still have some. So you can focus on the work and, and what's good for uh, the customers and, and don't think about a lot of other uh, stuff. I think being a bad actor is uh, very exhausting because you have to keep some integrity in what you're saying and doing. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's going to break down. And if you try to think always in the honest way, it's easier to stay consistent because you can, you can always check, like, is this good? And yes, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, 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 this saying one It's like difficult to be lying, like, uh, right? I'm not a good liar at all. Yeah, but he and me, we both have uh, memory like hamster. So <laughs> yes, you need to keep your lie and repeat it in the future. And it's mm -hmm. really difficult and we, we, we can remember. Uh, a lot of things, so it's easier to tell the truth and and just yeah. I uh, 
I'm not trying to blow smoke up my own ass here, but like I'm a bad liar too. Like, when I do <laughs> yeah. lie, I'm like, damn it, I just lied. Like, what the hell? I feel like I should tell my lie, but uh, no, it's crazy. And again, I think that is why people are drawn towards slush pool. And you guys are between close to ten percent of network hash rate right now. You're talking about focusing on technology. What have you guys been focusing on most recently? Um, what's on the roadmap at slush pool? Um. Well, let's cover the uh, Brains OS adventure and ASIC boost, maybe, a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it all started uh, a year ago when there were new miners from Minnesilicon, called T1s. Um, well, they were called Dragon Mints, whatever. Um, Dragon Mints. Dragon Mints, yeah. And we were involved in uh, testing them and uh, helping with. Uh, a proposal for actually we were the authors of the of the proposal to use some version bits uh, and stratum extension that would allow using them or, or configuring them uh, so that uh, mining devices that support ACIC boost could operate could be used for mining and these devices I mean the, the Dragon T ones they could not work without ACIC boost they had an optimization that just takes this functionality out of the chip, so you really have to run it with ASIC boost, otherwise you just are not um, efficient. Um, so we were involved with, with this, and at that time we were kind of thinking that there would be some business deal between us and, uh, you know, uh, Silicon that would allow us to, you know, also participate uh, in uh, firmware development, but the, the deal never happened. So we had like a bunch of work that we already did on mining firmware that we didn't know what we were going to do about. And then we started thinking, okay, hold on. So we had this thing. We can, we want to make it open source. But uh, what is the most popular miner in the in the market right now? And that was the S9s. And since we were into the ASIC boost adventure already, we were like, well, people say that this device apparently supports ASIC boost, but it doesn't work. So we started researching this topic, and it turned out that um, the devices really can do ASIC boost. So once, once you turn it on, you're saving right away 13% of energy. But the problem was that the manufacturer somehow made the part of the miner, um, uh, which is like a small firmware in the... FPGA mm -hmm. um, with a small bug, and this bug means uh, it was chip. Um, yeah uh, the the bug in the firmware was that it was uh, touching the wrong bits in the version field of the Bitcoin block header, mm -hmm. and these these were like particularly wrong in a way that this was invalid work for the from the Bitcoin network perspective. So any block that you would find would not be accepted because the version bits were like wrong. Um, so we were thinking, okay, let's fix it. And it turned out that it's not easy to fix it because this FPGA code is not like regular code for, you know, when you write your software and you compile it. Um, and it's not worth reverse engineering because it's really difficult. It's basically a code for uh, describing hardware, gates and, and so on. So we started... Um, writing our own part but also at that time i think we published the the story about our findings and saying basically we will continue on this initiative or we will make the manufacturer publish at least a fix to this it took like a week or two and then they released the firmware that would that was supporting ac boost um and it was already at the time when we came up with the idea of the Brains OS. It was, I think, the second release that they already had this AC boost support with this FPGA code fixed from 
from Bitmain. But nevertheless, we still think that this is not an open source variant because there's some small part that's still coming from the manufacturers. So we still keep on working on the uh, open source alternative that would be uh, integrated into BrainsOS. So this was like um, um, sort of like hobby project, but we still see it as an extension, logical extension to what we have in the pool because we're providing the mining service and it's easier to integrate with a farm that's running over from where you know that um, we know works correctly with the Stratum protocol because there were that was like the second motivation for the project that there were like um, historically many problems with the firmwares where they would be you would, you would even see them today where somebody releases new 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 mining mining hardware it has problems like mining with certain pools because they have some bugs in the firmware so it's easier to take care of the whole software stack but at the same time keeping it open source so that people can audit it and can if they want they can build their own images uh, and make sure that they're really running um what they uh can trust mm-hmm. now it's it's crazy how like the interaction between the firmware and the hardware can uh, sort of affect your hash rate and the the, the uh, performance of your miner. And so, I guess let's if we if you can explain like a couple of things at the firmware level that that would affect uh, a miner's performance and, and what you're looking at. Like you were just talking about the version bits, you fix that. But what else? Uh, like fan cooling stuff like that, tempering the fans and other sort of operations uh, at the firmware level. Yeah, I don't think that there is a lot of space what you can do uh, in the firmware for making the device more efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about tweaking the parameters for particular environment like <clears throat> if you have uh, strong fans in your operation you don't have to run the fans on the miner as fast but these are small things. Uh, the firmware thing is more about like reliability to connect to every pool and and managing the, the devices uh, securely and knowing what you actually run on, on the devices because there are some, uh, I don't know, problems, potential problems with hijacking the firmware or mm-hmm. the miners through some uh, call home uh, problems. So it's more about security than efficiency and the AC boost is, in my opinion, uh, something special in this in this sense. Yeah, so it's ASIC boost is a, a storied history in Bitcoin. At, uh, Bitmain famously doing covert ASIC boosts, where they were they were taking advantage of this before most people yeah, really knew about it. Where they did it, I don't think anybody can prove, prove it. it easily, yeah. and it doesn't. It doesn't matter, no. Because the the over uh, AC boost is more efficient. Mm-hmm. So once it, it was the basic uh, motivation for us to help uh, this kind of AC boost to be used uh, all over the world, because it makes mining more efficient and it like disables the over uh, AC boost because it's less efficient. So once he once everybody can use the version rolling, uh, there is. Uh, all the incentives are aligned. There is no need for overt async boost, so that miners don't bother with what's inside the cone base. There's incentives parking them head their uh, this head their heads in the system again. It's, yeah. Uh, so the incentives drive everything in Bitcoin. Um, 
which is beautiful. And the incentive to, to overtly use ASIC boost uh, is there now. Uh, but it was interesting that during that whole Amplied was a different thing. That's when they could remotely shut down. It was, it's, yeah, it was the calling home thing. Did you, uh, did you guys, were you guys affected by that at all? Were miners um, in your pool? Not really. I think we had a couple of cases where uh, somebody was reporting hijacking of the hash rate, but it was the um, BGP thing mm-hmm. where you can really make the farm thinking it's connected to some to the to the pool is connected somewhere else even though the ip addresses are correct yeah but it's um, not really frequent it's not very, it's not very frequent all years it's not really frequent but it's still but the new problem. protocol should yeah. really take care of this but uh, like one thing that i still find very interesting about the ac boost is that specifically with the s9s is that nobody ever like I mean, people were complaining, but this is not about complaining. This is more for for a lawsuit because it's like if you buy some product and I would just tell you that it just doesn't have this feature and it would have the feature hidden and it would be the manufacturer who would decide for you that you cannot use it and it would affect directly your, your cost of operation because it's not, ACBoost will not give you like it will not give you extra like hashing power, but it causes that you save energy. Mm-hmm. So you can cut your electricity cost by 13% if you use, I would be that technical, if you use four mid-states, that's the setting for the hashing chips. Uh, if you do like only two mid-states, um, which is like the first um, phase of the SHA function that's running in the chips, um, you do like 8%, so you can save between eight and 13%. and you could have been using that feature since day one when the when the fir- when when the S nines came out. So I'm really I don't know. This is interesting for me. All right, Bitmain's a very interesting story. Oh yeah, I refer to <laughs> them is. as the uh, the Icarus of of the early Bitcoin days. Flew too close to the sun, thought they were too hot for their own shit, and, and they're falling to earth right now. Yeah, it's a good analogy, I think. <laughs> so it, it surprises me so much. Why is they, this? They, they, they were in such a great position, like they dominated the market. And if you fast forward two years, uh, the scene is completely different than it used to be. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it surprises me very much. Bitcoin network's a ruthless bitch. If you uh, try to try to uh, wrong her, she will smite you. It's, uh, <laughs> they learned a, they learned a hard lesson, right? And so, as a company that's entrenched in the mining industry, what have you guys noticed any fallout from from Bitmain's fall from grace? Uh, any any particular companies stepping in where they're where they're sort of falling short? Um, are you seeing the market sort of route around them? Hmm. Thinking. Or do you think it just doesn't matter as we get closer to ASIC commodification? Yeah, we That's would a big really, topic. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. We would love to see as many manufacturers as possible. It would be great for the whole ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So in this sense, I, I'm pretty okay what happened to Bitmain. Uh, not necessarily because I would uh, wish them anything bad, but it was too much. They, their dominance was too strong, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it it was felt in the community. Uh, so this is changing in a good direction. Uh, 
Actually, uh, the latest actions from Bitmain are also very interesting. Where uh, like one day somebody on uh, on our Telegram chat, or it was also he, I think he also even tweeted about it. He said, "Oh, hey, I just upgraded my my S9, and he was running the factory firmware, not BrainOS, um, with the March update, whatever." And then suddenly he couldn't log in through SSH to his miner anymore, and um, the the, the, yeah, the, the firmware the firmware shit. image is now <laughs> digitally signed, so that means like until then you could technically um, feed the miner with any image uh, that would be valid, and the miner would just you know be dumb and he, it would just flash like anything that you give it. If it was to brick it, it would become brick. But this was the standard mechanism that we were using to upgrade from the factory firmware to BrainOS. But now they uh, added a feature that actually con checks um, the, the digital signature uh, of the image that you're feeding it. And obviously, like, we don't have their private keys, right? So um, we cannot uh, anymore uh, take our BrainOS image, feed it to, to the uh, S9 that has been upgraded, it's going to refuse it. Um, which is a good thing, mm -hmm. uh, in a way that uh, your device should not accept like any firmware image. It should check image check the signatures. This is what we do with the BrainOS as well. Because if you do upgrade, we, we check the signatures because the standard Linux distribution, like anything, this is a good thing. But you, as a user, if you really want to, you should have a way to do what you want. That means like flashing it with anything that you like. Mm -hmm. And I I don't understand the the incentive, why they're doing it, because it's really uh, pissing off the users. I mean, it's like even your car manufacturer would just say, you cannot drive anymore your car because you, you think you're not competent pool. to do it. Yeah. We'll have somebody else drive it for you. Do you think they're spinning up a pool of their own? Well, they already have. They already have. They already pool. have, yeah. I they have think a pool they're... Of their own. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't know what's behind us. It's not about, about pools. We, we don't have any, any special position uh, where it brings us in regards of the pool. There is no like uh, mining uh, at our pool where you uh, plug in uh, the device or start the firmware. Mm -hmm. You can obviously point it to our pool and it, it will work, but you can use the device for mining at any pool you decide. So the whole firmware thing is not about pool, I think. No. What is Bitmain doing? So Jihan's out, his other co-founders out, right? They're, they're... Or somebody new in Markan or something like that. I forget. Um, we don't have any. Yeah, we don't. Information. We don't have all the insights. Yeah. But to be honest, we I thought you guys were coming with all the good information. Really much about <laughs> the politics and and what what they do at the highest level is difficult to get information, and we we don't try to get any special. Uh, um, we have met with. Uh, some Bitmain representatives in Chile. It was the LaBitConf. There's mm -hmm. a conference in there. And they were very... I was actually in a panel with them. And they were uh, very positive. And they were saying, oh, we are going to be the good guys now. And we're going to be open sourcing everything. And very transparent and stuff like that. And whoops, they released the S15. Uh, and we keep asking them, like, when are you going to release the sources so that we can integrate it into into our uh, firmware? Uh, 
It never happened. <laughs> so, I mean, I really don't know. Well, if recent history shows, they're probably embarrassed by the performance uh, to release it because they've had bad wafer deliveries recently, haven't they? Or bad wafer designs. Um, I yeah, I think I think the the, the whole S, the, the S15s were a big failure because they used the seven nanometer technology, but it's like super expensive. So I think they. Uh, it's not uh, profitable, profitable no. for for them to sell them. Yeah, and the problem was a bad yield. Mm -hmm. So it's a tough thing to create so so small chips. So. What? Uh, so we mentioned uh, ASIC commodification earlier. Yeah. How uh, how far along that path are we? How close to uh, like a pure commodified ASIC market are we? Um. It's kind of a heated topic. Um, Why the, is this? Um, like right now, um, the problem is that the manufacturers, they don't have uh, a good incentive. And it, it's obvious. They have no incentive to sell the ASIC chips. Uh, for, Are we talking about the foundries? or um, they, def they, they, they want to make profit, and they can make profit in two ways. If they're selling the chips, then their margin has to be on the chips, uh, and it has to be pretty big. Or they can create an added value and you know pack the chips into mining devices, where they can make additional margin. So economically, this makes sense. But if you try to ask them, uh, can we have the chips? Uh, yes, you can have them. But the problem is that you're taking the risk, um, which could be absorbed by a futures market, maybe. Uh, you would be taking the risk uh, of the chips not being performing well or uh, not being on time, available, and so on. This can be overcome, but the problem is the, the initial price that's already usually too high uh, for anybody to actually make anything out of these chips, like produce physical hardware, because you would always be above the cost of the, of the manufacturer. So um, we had one day the idea um, of uh, creating something called ASIC Foundation that would be like a nonprofit organization um, taking care of running these um, manufacturing batches of chips. And basically, on a long run, uh, forcing the other manufacturers also joining the foundation and selling the chips through the foundation. It, it was meant as a non-profit organization who would organize the, the uh, like trading with the chips so that everybody can, can buy it. Because uh, yeah, the big thing is you have to rent the space on the foundry floors to the yeah, manufacturers. You, you, so you, guys really just, you guys would just rent out like a huge chunk of yeah, time the, on the yeah, floor the and have the manufacturers of, come yeah. in one at a time and yeah you know. but but that, then you can you can create some publicly known rules how you can participate in buying the chips there can be an open trade with the chips so if if anybody can create better uh, miner uh you, you could buy or sell the chips the futures it, it it was meant as a futures market for the chips which are in in production being being delivered in the future so you useful. Can, yeah there, there is a lot of uh, interesting things what you could do that but the biggest problem is you need to control somehow uh, the manufacturing part of the chips and we almost did an agreement with some manufacturer and but 
then it collapsed because yeah. obviously there was at the time when, when, yeah, when, when the exchange rate went really crazy, crazy. and this is this exactly demonstrated the case where uh, even though we were sort of very close to the deal it was at the time I think 6,000 was the exchange rate and then it was doing this and the manufacturers started so like withdrawing from all the deals because they saw they could make much more money uh, just by running their own business and selling selling the, the, the full product. So it was for us a proof that is it is not possible to do any kind of activity like this with a commercial subject, with a, with a commercial entity or business partner. It just has to be done by the foundation itself. Um, outsourcing the, the manufacturing process obviously to the foundries, but it would be the entity taking care of this. Yeah. How hard would it be to get a fifth foundry out there for Bitcoiners only? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think Adam uh, back one day tweeted uh, the exchange rate is not quite there yet, but uh, some I don't know it was TSMC or Global Foundries they were selling some manufacturing plant. So when the exchange rate is there, it could be that the Bitcoin community could actually buy a plant like this. Make, maybe it's too naive, like, but maybe that's what they're outsourcing project buying a foundry and yeah. running this. It will be awesome project. All right, freaks, you heard it here first on Tales from the Crypt. We're starting the uh, the crowdsourcing project for a foundry. We're gonna make it happen. We need to get the just, ASIC just modifications. Just a few billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> the pineapple fund. I think the pineapple fund will be able to cover this in a few years. Um, so hey, anybody running the pineapple button out there, you ain't on. Just keep this in mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, so. What else are you guys looking forward? To? I mean, we talk about mining specifically. Like you guys again. Like you think Bitcoin is the future money of the world? Why is this? What uh, what in your life has led you to come to this conclusion? Um, any personal experiences growing up? Any. Uh, well, for, for me, the most fascinating thing is that you finally have your money under your control, which doesn't ha happen with regular money anymore. And you have something that's uh, immutable, right? Uh, there's not too many things that are digital in our lives that are immutable. This is written once and you cannot change it. Uh, and these are like two fascinating technical things that both came together in the form of Bitcoin. Um, and I personally, I myself don't, I can't imagine as an IT guy that I would be active in any other industry just because of these two reasons. Yeah, I mean, you can write software for anything, but but this is the era where... Um, yeah, it's a great mixture of awesome technology and, and, and the connection with freedom and personal responsibility at the same time. I think Bitcoin can, has, can have uh, like larger can make larger point in the sense that people should take their responsibility for their lives themselves and, and Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in a sense demand uh, can, that. Yeah, can give you the the, uh, the lesson because you need to secure your keys, you need to start about things, how and why you do what you do. Uh, you can mess up, you can lose uh, some coins. Uh, so it's it's a broader broader message Bitcoin can bring. You know, it's been said on this podcast a lot, Bitcoin demands extreme ownership. And I mean, we see like, we were talking about Binance earlier and these exchange hacks, like that's, I think 
a lot of, I mean, that's a cause for a lot of FUD in the mainstream headlines. People see these exchange hacks, they extrapolate it to Bitcoin and say Bitcoin's been hacked. And it's like, no, this is a, a service yes. related to it that got yeah. hacked. Yeah. And, uh, but a lot of people have like the preconceived notions of how they interact with the traditional banking system and financial system. And they just assume, oh, this is the way Bitcoin will work. But it's like, no, this is, again, it's a digital, it's a bearer asset too. So like you have to take it into your control and control your keys and where do you think we are uh, in terms of sort of educating the masses about this process? This is definitely going to be a learning experience, and uh, that's something we talk about a lot here too. Like, uh, it's something that I'm worried about in the long run. It's like apathy, people not wanting to take this control. Do you think? Do you see a path through which people uh, come around and, and your average Joe starts taking control of his private keys? Well, I think the. the I think we still have the problem that the average Joe doesn't even know there are some private keys. Mm -hmm. um, so it's going to be a long process. And I think it has to start in elementary school where people really have to start understanding cryptography, not on a mathematical level, but to understand that this is the tool that the humanity is going to use. And it's like a regular day thing. Uh, we it's getting better. The, the more people understand the principles, uh, the more people can get it from them. It's a long process, obviously. And I don't think everybody must have their keys and all the coins, uh, controlling the coins in this sense, but understanding the principles are, are key and it, it's spreading. Uh, it's gonna take a lot, of, a lot of time, obviously, but I think there is a lot of uh, like knowledgeable people uh, already. Uh, and the more Bitcoin is in headlines and more people are uh, uh, describing all these principles, the easier it is to just get used to it. And once you really face it yourself, you already know that there are some principles behind it. You can dig deeper, ask people around. So I'm pretty optimistic. I don't have any like years mm -hmm. when it's gonna be uh, like known by everybody, but I'm pretty optimistic about it. Going in a good good direction. Yeah, it's like when uh, the world first got industrial plumbing and everybody had to learn how to wash their hands, wipe their ass, and take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's the greatest analogy, but maybe. Now you have to learn how to wash yeah. your hands on the internet and take care of your private keys. Control. Yeah. <laughs> Never thought about it in uh, from this direction. <laughs> that was uh, that was first posited by Santiago Siri on this podcast a couple of years ago. But it does make sense, yeah. It's like a learning, like you said, like ideally kids will start learning this in school and that's another thing. Like, So we were born in this inflection point, people our age and older, where we're sort of like the bridge between the world before the internet was mainstream and the world that the internet is now mainstream in. And I, I like I had my nephew's birthday party as a young kid last night, I'm looking at him and the way he's interacting with stuff, I'm like, there's no way Bitcoin isn't a thing. Yeah, it's about like, exposure to the core concepts. And there needs to be some critical mass of people understanding the concepts and uh, talking about it. But for the newcomers, for especially the younger people, the concepts would be ever present, like normal thing. They they doesn't they didn't have to understand uh, the technical details, but it's much easier for them to get it because it's nothing completely uh, completely different than they are used to because they are hearing about the concepts already. Yeah. 
I think one more th one more uh, area that's slightly changing already is the privacy concerns. You know, we had a few years ago we had people saying like, "Oh, I don't care where I, you know, put my photos and um, I use these surveys and it, you Great know, it's example. it's uh and now people do realize that those services that are for free um, are not that free as they look like as they sort of you know track what you're doing and they try to sell you things that you may not really need but uh, and I think that this is already changing in the population where people do realize uh, that the, their privacy is the concern and once you start caring about your privacy uh, it's very close to what you're getting with cryptocurrencies specifically with Bitcoin or others uh, Bitcoin has some Obviously, some privacy issues, but it actually makes you think about those uh, issues. So, yeah, I think it's getting a little better. It's getting a little better, but excuse me, we're at like a crossroads, right? We can either go full, full-fledged train down the uh, tracks towards a China-like future, dystopian future, or we can go towards a future where people take extreme ownership of their data, and it's like an open battle for dystopia versus sovereignty uh, right well I definitely want to go for the second one yeah well obviously that's why we're all here right do you do you are you worried about like uh, traditional state control like having too much of a head start yeah it's, it's actually happening I mean you see we're, we're in Europe and we, we see this uh, tracking also from the governments already they want to know like everything that you do um, uh, one interesting thing Today, uh, yesterday, when we were flying from Prague to New York, uh, we were flying Delta, and uh, at the check-in desk uh, in Prague on the airport, we would scan our passports. It would know the name of our hotel. Yeah. So the where system. does the Booking.com uh, submit the data? So they probably have in their terms and conditions like, hey, oh, yeah. we're sending this right yeah, to yeah, probably. security. Yeah, it, yeah. It's it's not saying <clears throat> they did something. Uh, against uh, conditions, like, it was just surprising. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, and, hey. and then we we had to ask like thirty questions by some guys from Delta because we are in, going to enter US, and similar questions uh, by the gate, and we were like, okay, I I, I try to troll the guys a bit. Are you guys at a fintech concert or a conference right now? Uh, there are a lot of fintech. Uh, no, I know, but when you're talking to, when I travel, no, like I told brother, him a Bitcoin conference. Nah, yeah. Bitcoin? I always well, say fintech. Oh, he was like uh, trying to really unveil the thing in layers. It was like it was like the onion method, right? Mm -hmm. So he would be like, "Why are you coming to the states?" And I was like, "Well, I'm coming to a conference. Which conference is it? Well, it's an IT conference. What kind of IT conference?" Is it? I was like, "Well, it's called MCC and it's a Bitcoin conference." Okay, so you're into Bitcoin? I was like, "Yes, I'm into Bitcoin." And then he would try to find out if I'm like consistent and he'll be like, so how is the Bitcoin doing now? And I was like, you mean the exchange rate? He's like, well, yeah. Uh, I was like, well, it's like 6,000. And he would be like, so it's been going up now? And I was like, well, yeah, but it was like 20K last year. So, you know, like he was really trying to find uh, if anything I'm saying is consistent. But what was like funny for me internally is that we got really discussing about about the Bitcoin stuff uh, at a security in Prague. <laughs> yeah, I have a story when I was crossing a border from Canada to US to visit some mining corporation. And I have met uh, a policeman or some guard and he was a really 
pissed about Bitcoin because he thought he missed the opportunity. Uh, I thought you were going to say he's a quadriga exercise. Yeah, so, so he <laughs> asked me so many questions and I, I, I tried to uh, make the case for Bitcoin and, and try, try to uh, pour some positivity uh, on him so that he can let me in. Uh, and yeah, it was, it, it, it was a great conversation, but I didn't expect to have it uh, at the borders. Right. Well, it's crazy at the borders and the airports. I've said this before, like airports are like the testing grounds for dystopian, like Orwellian features here in the States since 9-11. It's gotten particularly bad, like around like going through security, you have sniffing dogs all over the place. So you have to go through that scanner now. And it came out a couple of weeks ago that some woman was flying JetBlue and she had a boarding pass on her and she thought she was going to have to hand that in. And she didn't. They like literally use facial recognition to check her into her flight without her without our permission. And so like that is like another step forward in, in the airport sort of Orwellian dystopia is like stepping in. It's like uh, people for some reason while going through airports just have no problem giving up their, their privacy and their, their, their freedom. They're like, oh yeah, we'll just listen to you. It's difficult to get to another continent in 10 hours and right. not crossing any airport. Yeah. So. Did you guys fly into JFK? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How was, uh, how was customs there? particularly bad <laughs> it, was it was a great the, experience i hate it so much yeah. coming back in like i came in from riga last year and it was uh, after like a 12 hour flight 12, 16 hour travel day it was the most miserable experience of my life you have to wait like 45 minutes in a line with a bunch of pissed off people yeah, and, and the, the shape of the line is i, I didn't see anything like that and i'm, any, any other I'm gonna say sorry for the uh the people who work at the airport they're never nice they're always rude uh i'm sure they yelled at you or to move along and stuff like that yeah too much people in <laughs> yeah. um we're almost an hour in here how much time do you guys have you guys in a rush to get anywhere no we're okay okay um so let's what's it like being uh having mind over a million bitcoin as a pool what's that do you guys feel responsibility like being the arbiter of of divvying out the rewards and stuff like that uh, we never thought about the feeling because I mean that's being divided to the miners and I don't know and uh, the, 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 the it's a biggest mar- nice marketing uh, number obviously mm-hmm. but we tend to not keep the coins longer than it's necessary that's we want to uh, send them uh, to the miners as fast as possible because of security reasons obviously mm-hmm. so yeah we're not a bank so we're not really uh holding yeah yeah well it's crazy like the first the number one miner or pool to mine the most bitcoin btc guild they're not even around anymore are they and yeah i think they they got uh they get bankrupt they went bankrupt but yeah. i think yeah yeah, yeah. I have think they mined i'm not sure it's long years won ago 1.5 million bitcoin. yeah it, it was, was at the beginning and it was the largest school at the time i think i hmm. hope i remember correctly but I think they used some kind of different payout scheme and they had a bug and they just paid too much oh, or really? something like that. I hope I'm, I'm not mistaken, but I think it was, it was roughly uh, this. No, but it's just cra- crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> well, it's crazy to see the churn in the mining pool industry in particular. So how do you, how do you guys survive that churn? Uh, you're saying to stay focused and build, but what else? Like you, are you constantly looking over your shoulder at competitors? 
um, mining pools entering the market? Um, we don't look at the competition too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's difficult to uh, make something really special uh, and not and focusing on your stuff is yeah, better in general, I think. Um, and the competitors are arriving and then they're stopping to mine. We don't know why. <laughs> it's pretty funny right <laughs> yeah well that's one thing that's actually a principle I have here like the podcast and the newsletter I write is uh, I watched Dr. Dre Jimmy Iovine documentary series on HBO from like last year there's one a part where Jimmy Iovine in particular says like when you're working on something just you gotta have like blinders on like a racing horse just like don't look to your side just, just keep focused and it seems like you guys are a perfect embodiment of keeping focus on your core competencies and and just basically building better uh, better software for Bitcoiners to run, which is uh, which is awesome. Yeah, at the end, it's a service, so the service needs to be stable. Mm-hmm. People expect it runs all the time, and so it... from this perspective, it's rather, it's very similar to running uh, a banking software. It has to be on twenty four seven, even though like banks or internet banking are sometimes down. This can be. What's that like? You guys up at all um, hours? Do you guys have like we have uh, duties uh, spread across the team, um, and it just means like most of us are pretty much like twenty four seven online, um, just in case something happens. Yeah, when I can take my cell phone and put it uh, outside of my reach, it's completely a lion uh, feeling. Yeah. I'm not used to not have my cell phone all the time by myself for the last six years. So it's, it's a really strange feeling to not have my cell phone by myself. Do you guys... Because all the time something can happen and we have pretty strict uh, like rules who can uh, access the production servers. Mm-hmm. Really strict because there's a lot of money uh, flowing and you cannot reverse Bitcoin transaction, as we all know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there is only a couple of people uh, who can uh, like connect to the core uh, pool infrastructure? So we need to be always ready to uh, do what's necessary to run the operation. Do you guys uh, ever get to go on vacation or not? Yeah, but it yeah. doesn't mean you don't have you your cell phone. On vacation. Yeah. Depends how you define the vacation. If if it's uh, a place with three uh, G, four G service, <laughs> are you? can be online within minutes, uh, then you can go anywhere. So like, I, I like, I personally like sailing. So for me, I cannot go sailing too, uh-huh. too much of the coast, yeah, but within 20 miles, how, how many hours, uh, you have, uh, for reaching good internet connection. And we, the, the most critical points are when we fly together, blew <laughs> 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 up everything. <laughs> So, so we always buy a Wi-Fi. I guess have separate flights on the way home after. Oh, yeah, sometimes we do. Um, no, nah, I can't imagine like the stress of having a, to be up and available twenty four seven. You get used to it. Yeah. And, yeah. and then not being available is the strange part. <laughs> I think that's just yeah. the stressful part. If you know that, um, or you're not available, that's the problem because yeah. that's where I could have felt something maybe. Oh, yeah. Something, yeah. Interesting. I love what you guys have built. Let's talk about uh, BetterHash. BetterHash is something that I've been uh, uh, championing. I've been uh, championing BetterHash. Not championing, but trying to make more people aware of it because Matt Corallo 
has been on this podcast before. He's explained that he seems to think that better hash uh, would help decentralize Bitcoin more. You freaks who have listened to this podcast under, and have heard me describe better hash have probably understand it already, but I'll do it again. Better hash simply takes uh, what you guys do now in Stratum is construct a block template and divvy out the reward. Better hash would allow individual miners within the pool to uh, construct their own block templates, and you guys would simply divvy out the reward. You seem to think that uh, it's not as as great as advertised and there may be a middle ground to be reached. So let's jump into that. Um, yeah, well, one thing to say is that we're in close contact with Matt Corello, Um and we've been discussing all the details uh, about better hash and what could be done differently so that this could be like the next industry standard. Like for us, the, the current proposal um, doesn't fulfill some criteria specifically on uh, latency some performance that you would expect for such a big protocol change. Uh, at the same time, the ideas of uh, uh, ensuring uh, security uh, and allowing this work selection process on the miner side uh, possible, um, that's obviously a very good idea uh, and that's something that we would like to integrate as well. So the current status is that we have some counter proposal that's already like formally written and we are really working together with Matt uh, to come up with the, the best solution for for the industry that would be like uh, a quality changer. You could, I mean, it's simply just too many devices and you cannot just roll out some prototype. It has to be really well thought. So I think it's uh, very useful to take the time for the development and like really make the right decisions. And it's still, we still have the time ahead of us where this would be like, you know, openly discussed and uh, we'll see what comes out of it. Yeah, because you guys have a lot of sub cost in, to the uh, to the software that you're building now. And what, what would that mean to like try to take on an endeavor like implementing a better hash or something similar to it? Like what would you guys like, drop everything <coughs> to work on that or? Yeah, we would love to do that. Yeah. But uh, from the experience with Stratum for the last years, uh, there is a lot of different use cases you need to cover. Uh, so it needs to be right. It's super difficult to change it in the future. And there were some tweaks of, of the version one of Stratum and it makes a large confusion. So every firmware can have slightly different dialects of the protocol. Uh, so it takes time. Uh, better hash in general is a great idea in principle because it brings uh, a new possibility to miners to allow better distribution of work selection, let's say, or or choosing which transaction should be put into block. So this idea is great, uh, but there is a lot of technical stuff which needs to be done perfectly, uh, or we think it, it can be done better uh, than in better hash. And one particular problem we had with the proposal was it created too much risk on the pool side uh, in the sense that if the miners with their firmware or software are misbehaving either uh, probably because of a bug, uh, we would not be able to double check it. So we would blindly uh, need to un or just accept the data from the miners through the protocol. And we try to find a way how to make it 
no-brainer for pools to uh, like bring the new protocol in life. So there need, needs to be zero risk for them. It needs to be more efficient, uh, more uh, secure, and there, there, there needs to be some good outcomes even for pools to, to, uh, to implement because it's obviously a work. Yeah, so there are like obvious like pain points within better hash that you think you could tweak and make better or do you think it's Yeah, we we already had a proposal before we we understand there is better hash. Uh but we didn't incorporate the port selection before. So we tried to merge the two principles or point of views to one protocol and I think we are pretty close to uh nailing it. Uh but there are some still some discussions with Matt because Obviously, we would like to be as as good as possible for everybody, so that there is a high chance uh, that it's going to be supported by as many uh, people in the world as possible. Because it's the only thing how it can uh, substitute the protocol, uh, the first protocol. Yeah, he seems to think that uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin's potential decentralization would be severely. Uh, reduced if a protocol like this isn't implemented are you under the same volition i don't think so uh it's it's a great thing you have so that you as a miner has the chance to use the feature still i think most of the miners would be uh profit driven uh so they would like to mine uh as valuable block as possible uh, by uh, the fee uh, amount so all the pools, or majority of pools, choose the blocks by uh, fee amount. Mm -hmm. uh, once you start to uh, make different block, you need to uh, make the block less valuable. So you can, yeah. So you can have individual miners running a better hash yeah. protocol, sort of bringing down the f potential fees for everybody and, else and the, in the pool. Yes, and yeah. that, it's it's one of the problems. Yeah, you okay. need to okay. calculate this properly on the pool side, so that if somebody wants to mine 300k uh, blocks and not one, one megabyte blocks, mm -hmm. uh, he can, but obviously there are not going to be as many transactions in the block as a normal block. So the miner needs to be paid less because other miners who would like to mine normal blocks needs to get the, the, the reward they, they, they expect. So there is a lot of maths involved. So I don't think it's going to be ever like really must used uh, feature but it's great to have it mm -hmm. so if somebody wants, wants to have to. the control it has the possibility sort of it's like a security thing. measure that you don't want to use but you can you have an option to use it and that sort of prevents the attackers yes and right somebody decides for the censorship if if the current um mining protocol was like really massively used by the pools for censorship, if if the if the mining pools would collude, then this would allow the miners to toggle you know, it on. Right. Yeah. Yes, that makes That's sense. That's not as the pool of deciding, right? The uh, no. the 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 transactions. Yeah, that's something we talk about too. The Bitcoin Core trying to make that more modular, and you can even make this this pool software more modular yeah. as well. It seems. Right. Um, that seems like it seems like a great middle ground, in my opinion, um, and that's. Uh, no, yeah, you don't want into that. It's the first time I've like thinking through this. The uh, individual miners with the fees not getting the most fees out of it. Um, 
the corner case is what if I as a miner decide to mine uh, empty blocks? Like yeah. I have some special preference. I just want all blocks to be all, all, all blocks that I make to be empty. So that means like that's zero fees for for the other miners that also have the share on this block. Yeah, they're expending energy. Right, right. So that ha this has to be properly calculated so that it's uh, transparent and then fair for everybody. Yeah. And that's the, I would say, this is the, the difficult part. The, the technical part about the, the negotiation, how to do it properly, it's, that's the easier one. Yeah, it's actually making it happen. Because like we were talking about earlier, like you have some miners who can't even run their own full nodes and it would be hard for them. And th this was the reason why we, we really want to be able to double check the work. Because firmware uh, or software in general have a lot of bugs in it. And we can we can like fix the bugs really efficiently, and we are responsible if our service doesn't work as as it should be working. Uh, so we are we have the greatest incentive to do it right, uh, but we cannot say everybody else is gonna do a good job, mm -hmm. uh, and other miners would pay for uh, mistakes of different miners if we cannot uh, prevent uh, the error. So there are these kind of uh, problems we need to solve in the protocol. And it's a lot of other uh, small nuances which just need to be right. And I think it's, it's pretty close to uh, be finished. But, yeah. no, it's these, uh, these small externalities that, that, that rear their heads out of, out of nowhere, it seems. It's crazy. And again, it goes back to incentives as well. Um, you guys have <coughs> brand recognition that's almost 10 years old at this point. So you, you have a very high incentive to protect that and provide the highest quality service that you can. <laughs> Nobody wants to do shitty work. <laughs> but, yeah. And we, we need to deal with uh, the firmware uh, or the protocol every single day. That was actually a so, good pun. Though. Nobody wants to do shitty work. Uh, you don't want individual miners doing shitty work in your pool. Uh, basically, anything <laughs> anything that you do... Uh, should be in line with uh, solving some problem that you have, mm -hmm. right? I mean, when Linus made Linux kernel, he had a problem that he didn't have free open source Unix distribution or Unix system. And this is very similar to, like, we were facing with various firmware issues, so we came up with the idea, okay, we know how to make the mining protocol, we can have the firmware, if the firmware is open source and become sort of like industry standard uh, for, for this era, it would be very easy to roll out for the community any changes in the protocol because it could be tested with like single source audited by the community. So that, that's the, the idea behind all this that we're doing. We try to come up with some uh, compact solution to, to all these topics. Um, sort of like Bitcoin Core is audited in open source, but nobody really cares about the mining firmwares, which are actually, it's an issue. Like right. what, if, what if there's a, what if there's some dead man's switch uh, in the, in the firmwares out there that can shut down the network? There's like an I don't know. Yeah, right. Uh, but there could be others. I don't know. Yeah. So it should be our responsibility to try to educate people, think about uh, their miner and if it's not their firmware, it's not their minor, right? Yeah. Yeah, so. it's a very good point. Make the review process as thorough as it is at the yeah. core level. But you have to have something to review, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> how's, uh, how's Brains been received by the market overall? How's uh, reception been in your uh, opinion? I don't think the community likes it. 
they like the the idea of really having something as a reference and standard implementation and something that's being taken care of so yeah i mean it's a new project so uh, we'll see what happens in the future but we really try to um, maintain it and on the long run we want to add more obviously of more more mining devices and one of the features we would definitely bring to the firmware is the protocol implementation right it's a great thing that we can uh, implement it on both sides either on pool or uh, and in the firmware as well so that we can Fall show tested. it works mm. uh, and yeah it, it could help with the adoption a bit yeah, no, it's, uh, so it seems like things are progressing pretty well for you guys. What, uh, like, what do we, what do we see going forward? What do you, um, like you said, the progression of miners, we've gone from CPU to GPU to FPGA. We're, we're not ASICs. Um, is there anything above ASICs you think eventually? No, just smaller ASICs. <laughs> so I think, I think the current challenge is the EUV technology, the extra ultraviolet uh, What's technology. This? Uh, you know the, how the chips are being manufactured, right? You have a mask and you have your wafers and you use um, some ultra short length light, but it is not light at these levels that you use for enlightening the, the mask, right? And that creates the footprint of the chip. Are they photons at that point or something? Yeah, maybe. Well, they are photons. Mm -hmm. um, and the problem of the current technology, once you start making the chip smaller and smaller and smaller, uh, the wavelength uh, really starts mattering. And this is the basic problem with the seven nanometers with the current uh, sources of the, I don't want to call it light, but the thing. Um, that makes it very difficult to create the chips. Um, and with the EUV, the length of, of the light is very small. I think it's like 17 nanometers, which is already comparable with what you're trying to create uh, as a, the structural sizes on, on the chips. But um, the problem is that this technology is not mature yet. So the old seven nanometers, we're not using the 17 nanometers light, but it was using something like 100, I don't know, 70, whatever, which is like uh, two orders bigger than what you're trying to create on the chip. And that makes it bad yield, uh, big variances in the production quality and so on. So this, th th this would be like the next step in the ASICs when this EUV matures and is like widely used and becomes cheaper. Uh, and then obviously somebody started talking about five nanometers and even like three, but I mean, this is crazy. You were just yeah. <laughs> on an on atom level. So right? we should be following the EOV progression once that gets cheaper and, and more fleshed out. Yeah. And then maybe 3D structures on the chips, which already do exist, but uh, sort of like it's 3D. Yeah, and super costly. Yeah. And, and there are no, uh, like, how do you like quantum computers? Uh, quantum computers are not going to uh, break Bitcoin mining. It's interesting because a lot of people think uh, lately that quantum computers can do crazy stuff and they can or yeah, but they're completely useless for Bitcoin mining. Yeah. I had an access to a uh, quantum computer a few years ago uh, through some university, doesn't matter. What was that like? Uh, it was really interesting. I didn't know if it can be used for Bitcoin mining, so we really <laughs> tried, and it was 
immediately obvious that it's it it's not gonna happen. So we are going to go with with the ASIC direction, and it's it's a great thing. Once everybody is on the physical limits, it can help you with the commoditization. Yeah. So what what is what does the Bitcoin mining landscape look like when we get to that point? What, in your opinion? I think it's gonna be pretty similar, mm -hmm. and it's a good thing. I, I don't think it, there needs to be some some drama in Bitcoin mining. It, it's a core thing what needs to uh, be done properly for uh, the network to function, but no big news is necessary, I think. Yeah. Um, like for the Bitcoin itself. Obviously, there is a lot of uh, interesting stuff you can do in the Bit Bitcoin mining sub-industry, uh, but for normal users, I would not guess any big uh, news if there is uh, enough manufacturers of uh, similar chips. You think we make it more accessible, more decentralized at the end of the day? Because anybody yeah, can Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, once there is enough manufacturers producing similar chips, it's easier to compete and yeah. Okay. Well, once it's boring, it's great. <laughs> Well, one thing that's limiting uh, is the resources or the, the natural resources that you have. You can produce only a limited amount of silicon, right? Mm -hmm. And you have different parties interested in this silicon that's being used for the wafers. In order to produce chips, we have cell phones, we have laptops, computers, everything. And the amount of, of these gadgets is growing, right? And within this industry, you still have to fit in with, with the mining part. Um, so, the limiting factor would be all these resources, and uh, one day I saw there the foundry comes in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when yeah, when, once we have a Bitcoin foundry, maybe. We're going to but, start the but still, it's going to be it's going to be a shared resource, so you would have the same like issues, right? Um, but I mean, once once I saw a chart of. Um, chip technology versus the amount of companies that are able to uh, manufacture on this technology. And it's like exponentially going down. Like initially there were like 100 companies mm -hmm. were, that were able to produce chips, but they were like at 100 nanometers or whatever. I mean, I don't know the exact scales, but it eventually goes down to like three or four uh, foundries uh, globally that can work with the cutting edge technology, including Intel. So. I mean, if even if you have like different chip manufacturers, they still have to go to the foundry that has that has to source the wafers and that produces the chips. So, and if if everybody is interested in the cutting edge technology, and obviously mining is interested in that because of the efficiency, then we have to race for the resources. Yeah, you know, drive rent rent prices up on those foundries. Yeah. Uh, no, it's fascinating. You're you're not only competing with other miners, you're competing with other people building hardware at yeah. the end of the day. And then it comes to the physical components as well. I'm talking about that as well. Yeah, I mean, these are big names. Like Bitcoin mining already uses the same process and uh, foundries as AMD or NVIDIA or uh, companies like that. Yeah. It's, it's crazy in a sense because you're still a really small industry. Or it, it's, it's interesting. It's, uh... It proves that there's something worthwhile there, though, right? If yeah, a lot of money. The incentives are aligned. Yeah. Um, some people say it's uh, um, it's a problem of wasting energy, but when you look at what's going on with the 
exchange rate versus the amount of hashing power connected to the network. Um, it directly reflects the exchange rate and miners already do search for places on the earth with the cheapest energy. So the economical model of the whole ecosystem is not that simple. No, I mean, this is something I've been pontificating about on this podcast. I think we should be incentivizing Bitcoin mining as much as possible to become as energy efficient as possible. Um, like Steve Barber, what he's doing up in Alberta, uh, basically going to natural gas fields, which are flaring methane into the atmosphere, capping that, mining that. Like we should be trying to do that everywhere possible. Yeah, yeah, this is a great example. Yeah, it's, um, but again, you gotta get, we gotta go through the education. Like Bitcoin's boiling the oceans, did you hear? We're using the same amount of uh, energy as a small country. <laughs> Do we have to comment it? <laughs> um, I guess before we wrap up here, I have an interesting question for you guys. What's the uh, the most stressful like week or couple days or experience that you guys have had while working at Slushpool? Like having to be on twenty four seven. What's like the craziest emergency call? The you guys first had? two days, it was forty eight hours being up and like transferring the 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 pool server that was like compromised and everything into different data centers. So we were like, I mean, like the first day when we got involved, it was at the time when something like went really bad. So we were like up for 48 hours and working on the thing to, to, to make it run again. Uh, because I mean, you cannot shut it down. The hash rate is gone. How are you going to convince the miners to connect again? I mean, some, somehow you could, but so I th for, for me, it was the first two days. Yeah, and then like any other incident after that, it, I mean, I we do remember incidents that would last for like a day or half a day, but I don't remember like forty eight hours mm. anymore. That was so the first two days were the worst. It, it was yeah, it was, it was get, exciting. Way but to get it over with we, early. We made we made an agreement about the whole pool and stuff like that, and then this incident came, the big big hack of compromise of of the single server of the pool at the time. And it was just, okay, now. <laughs> and, and we jumped in and, and yeah, it's, it's the history from the time. So every single day is actually better than the first one. That's a, that's a good, that's a good way. I think I would rather have like the worst day of my job ever be the first day of the job you get it over with and then yeah, it's yeah. all rosy from there. Um, one thing we didn't get to, maybe we could touch on here to end too, is like Coinbase messages. Like what, what's going on there? Like the unknown, uh, the unknown blocks with nobody's sharing messages and the, the Coinbase um, starting to rise like as like during the the fork wars the segway 2x people were using the Coinbase to sort of signal uh, that they were willing to go for segway 2x or user activated soft fork as a pool uh, putting stuff in the Coinbase why, why are you guys doing this are you ever throwing people off your scent by putting somebody else's name in the Coinbase or do you do this to signal to your clients or your users like, hey, we have this and could prove it with the Coinbase? You're basically allowing uh, websites or other parties to understand who mined uh, which block. Mm -hmm. uh, you can obviously say it from uh, different sources. You can monitor what, what jobs uh, the pool provides, but the easiest way for everybody is to just read in information from Coinbase. Uh, but we, we learn as a users or, or the community, we all learned a lesson from uh, the drama about signaling uh, segwit. So I don't think there will be any similar situation in the future. 
we, we try to uh, let our miners to choose what they uh, want to signal. Uh, but in general, it's, I think it's not a miner's job to decide the direction. Uh, there is obviously a good thing about signaling that the, the mining industry is ready for, for a change. But most of the hash rate is uh, like already um, company based or there are professional teams running uh, the operations. So if there is a change uh, in the protocol, they will uh, do it properly. Mm -hmm. uh, there needs to be some communication, but if, if the whole uh, community decides about some uh, future change, I don't think miners would have a technical problem with it. And whether they should have a vote or not, it's a difficult uh, or a different que question, but I don't think community should be taken as a hostage uh, for, miners, it's or a, for miners. It's an interesting part of Bitcoin, like being able to signal and put a message into the coin base, like as you mine a block. Like Signaling is one thing, but being able to uh, like messaging. vote messaging or uh, what's the what's the name uh, if you can prevent some change uh, from happening it's something different than voting that you want this or you want something else uh, I, I didn't study all the details uh, on some game theory level Mm -hmm. But I don't think we would like to be in the same situation as with uh, Segwit 2 um, Back in the day when there were the Segwit wars going on with the signaling, um, even though people were signaling and we had the Bit91 uh, already deployed, I mean the, the, the patch, uh, we were not sure to the very last day that this signaling was not false. So yeah. even though you have signaling, you just <laughs> don't know. I mean, you, Cannot say that it? this is going to happen. Was it F two pool fucking with everybody, like signaling for one way and then the other, like every few yeah, months? There's so many scenarios. <laughs> what can happen? Yeah. So, so like signaling is just uh, there is some probability that they're really running the software that would, uh, you know, keep the rules and follow the signaling once it become active. But yeah, you're not miners are in no way sort of. Uh, held to what they signal at all they could signal do something completely there's no no cryptocurrency uh, yeah. sorry there's no cryptographic um, force making them switch the feature on no. yeah. <laughs> so um that's fascinating it's been a fascinating hour and a half i'm pumped you guys came through here uh i want to let you get get on with your blockchain week though explore new york explore explore brooklyn uh i guess before we leave do you have like a parting note a parting message for the freaks out there uh the thoughts on where Bitcoin is right now, where it's going, optimistic, pessimistic. It's your time to take the floor. I'm really optimistic. Like I, I, I can see so much effort put into the right direction, and so many people doing right stuff with Bitcoin and promoting it and trying to push it uh, the right way. So I'm really, really optimistic. Um, my message is: if you didn't get into Bitcoin, just get some Bitcoin before you retire. So this is the right time. We're always stacking stats here at Tales from the Crypt. It's a good way to end it. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Thanks for thanks having for us here. Us. Thanks for coming by. Thank peace and love, freaks. Bye.